Welcome into a special edition of the Illini Cast. I'm your host, Austin Berkland, alongside Sonny Verma, and we have a great guest today, Stephen Bardo from Bardo's Breakdowns, former Illini basketball player. Stephen, how's it going? I'm doing great, guys. College basketball is getting ready to start, so I'm excited. I see you're super busy. You're all over the internet every time there's an interview here, interview there. It's, uh, you know, it's nice to see you around. Oh, I appreciate that. You know, just just trying to whet people's appetites because it's a tough uh, sports landscape to get a lot of attention with the World Series, NBA, NHL starting, football, NFL, college football. So college basketball struggles at the beginning of the season, but I, I wanted to try to make an effort to get people excited. Let, let's start with the national landscape right now of college basketball. Where... Who is the biggest storyline, in your opinion, for this college basketball season? Well, I, I, I don't think we have to really look outside the Big Ten much. I mean, you could talk about St. John's and Rick Pitino bringing in 13 new players. Uh, but in terms of storylines, Purdue Boilermakers, will they have a, a similar fate as Virginia did? You know, the first team to lose as a number one seed against the 16 in the NCAA tournament, I believe it was to Townsend State. They came back next year, won the national championship. Uh, Purdue as the returning national player of the year. They certainly had the talent to make a deep run and final four run. So, you know, there's a ton of storylines, but I think there's not many more better than what's coming out of West Lafayette. There's a wide held, I feel like, um, perception that the Big Ten compared to previous years isn't as top heavy uh, as it has been. Obviously, you know, you've been going to different practices and you've been talking to different coaches. Do you share that belief or do you think the Big Ten is as strong as it has been? I think last year was a year of a lot of parity, even though you had the number one team in the country and they kind of were the outlier. Purdue was kind of a, a, a head and shoulders above everyone else in the conference. But when you look from two to nine, I believe, was separated by one or two games. This season, um, Michigan State will join Purdue in that elite level. And then there's some teams in Illinois, uh, possibly Maryland. Wisconsin's going to be really good. Ohio State's going to be pretty good. There's, there's some candidates for it to be a little bit more, uh, not quite as competitive in the middle of the pack, but I think you'll see a little bit more separation this year with some of the teams that I just mentioned that I think they'll separate themselves from the rest of the Big Ten. Which team aren't we talking enough about in the Big Ten? Nebraska. They're the oldest team in the Big Ten. They have nine guys. I believe Fred Hoiberg told me they have nine players that have played three or four years of college basketball. And they've got a similar chemistry that they had last year. If you guys remember, Nebraska was giving people fits down the stretch. And... Uh, I believe they were 5-2 and two in their last seven games, and they were up 20 on Michigan State in one of those losses. So uh, this is a very talented team. Uh, they've they got a ton of depth. They've done as, as well as any team in the Big Ten and maybe in the country in the transfer portal in terms of addressing needs that they had. So I, I think that, you know, there's not a lot of people talking about Wisconsin. I think they're going to be really good. But Nebraska is going to be that team that, you know, I know people will hear us and see this interview and they're going to be like, man, Bardo, you know, slipped and bumped his head. 
No, I'm telling you, this this Nebraska team is going to be pretty good. You know, with your you know positive opinions on Nebraska, then like how many teams do you think our conference is you know capable of possibly pushing into the tournament um, coming up in March? Well, we, if we if you look over the last three or four years, the Big Ten has ranged between seven and nine teams. I don't think that will change. I think it will be right in that range. There are, there are enough quality teams that there'll be one or two quality Big Ten teams that may not get in. Um, <clears throat> you know, I the only team that really, you know, Minnesota is just kind of a, they're kind of an unknown because they, they got so many moving parts and guys coming back. Michigan is kind of unknown, even though they uh, had, a, you know, a pretty good showing against Marquette, who is a top five team in the country. And Michigan won that exhibition matchup between Marquette and put up 115 points, if I'm not mistaken. So um, they're kind of the outlier. But outside of that, everybody, Iowa, Nebraska, Rutgers, Maryland, uh, Penn State is going to be, um, you know, a, a tough a tough team to contend with only because, um, uh-oh, hold on. Sorry about that. Only because um, they're going to play a different style of play. People don't really have a lot of tape on them. They don't know quite what to expect. But Penn State's going to be a team that's going to make some noise as well. Offensively, which team has the most weapons in this Big Ten? Man, great question. Offensively, I'd almost have to go, I want to say Michigan State. But Illinois is right in the mix in terms of, uh, you know, you talk about Justin Harmon, 1,000-point scorer. Quincy Gary, I believe, is a, a slightly under, but he's a you know a veteran player. Marcus Domas, sixteen hundred point score. Then you got Terrence Shannon and, and um, Coleman Hawkins. Uh, you've got a lot of talent. Luke Goody coming off the bench. Um, so I I would give the slight edge um, to Michigan State, but Illinois is right in that mix as well. And then of course Purdue is not far behind in terms of offensive uh weapons so you'd you'd agree pretty much with the, the national perception that it's kind of purdue and michigan state's conference to lose um where would illinois kind of fit in all that are, are they in that next tier are they third yes. are they fourth fifth like where, where are you looking i would i'm not as definitive as a lot of people in the preseason because it doesn't matter everybody's guessing you don't know so um but what i, I like to group teams in tiers. So you got Michigan State and Purdue up here, and then below them is a grouping of about five teams. And I haven't even mentioned Northwestern yet. Northwestern's going to be in the mix as well. I don't know if they'll be in that next grouping, however, because Ryan Langborg, their uh, two-guard, got injured. I don't know how long he's going to be out. Um, but you're talking about Illinois, Maryland, Wisconsin, um, Ohio State is in that kind of that mix as well. So I put, um, yeah, I put Illinois right up under uh, Michigan State and Purdue on that next grouping of teams that could that could possibly challenge for a Big Ten title. But obviously, nationally, perception-wise, they're just a notch below um, Purdue and Michigan State. Focusing in on the Illini a little bit, how do you like how – what are your thoughts on how Brad Underwood has built his team from last year going into this year? 
Well, I think Illinois was maybe the youngest team in the Big Ten last year, and now they're one of the oldest. And so he wanted to get guys who understand coming to work every day, being professional, being tough, uh, being, you know, seeing situations on the floor that they've seen before, not being surprised. And so I, I think that he's done a fantastic job of retooling the roster. And also, you know, you talk about Niccolo Moretti and Dre Gibbs Lawhorn. You've got two really good young uh, point guards who you can count on as well. And then Amani Hansberry might be the X factor on the team. He's been the biggest surprise to me in terms of um, his ability on the floor. He's a very talented young man. I'm not sure that he's going to get a ton of time, but he's going to play a little bit because he's, he's so skilled and knows how to play. So I think Brad's done a really good job of retooling the roster in his liking because I think he took a chance on some guys last year that may not have been um, the kind of players that he really wants to have, guys that he can really coach hard. They're not going to resist to that. They're going to be we guys and not me guys. And so I think he's done a really good job of, of getting the roster to a lot more we guys as opposed to last year. It looked like they had some me guys, and it really messed them up during the Big Ten Conference slate, I think. Looking at the Illini roster as a whole, you have Coleman Hawkins and Terrence Shannon as your one and two. Who do you think could be that third guy in the in this rotation for the Illini? I think it's going to be Marcus Domask. I think he's he's the guy that's got the most experience. Um, he knows how to play. He can play the point guard position. He can play the two or the three. Uh, so I, I think he's just invaluable for what the Illini are trying to do this year. And I think he would be behind the, behind Shannon and Hawkins. I would definitely say that Marcus Domas would probably be that third option. And then you look at the bench pieces. What does having Luke Goody come off the bench mean for the Illini? Well, you've got a guy that can space the floor. He's six seven. He can he can guard multiple positions. He's a pretty good rebounder from the wing position, and he understands what Brad Underwood wants. And so. When you've got returning players who understand their role, who are good chemistry guys on, on, the, on the team, certain, certain players in Luke Goody's position would be frustrated, would be antsy because he had that injury. He wants to come back and play so badly. But I saw him in practice. I saw him a little bit in the exhibition game. And I think he's blending in very nicely. So Luke Goody's a guy that I think uh, is a player that will really – factor into the success of what the Illini are trying to do this year. I know Illinois hasn't had the success in March that a lot of Illini fans want, and it might be too simplistic to even ask, like, is there something that Brad Underwood can change in, in what he's doing in March, or is it just a lesson in getting the most bites out of the apple as possible and good things will happen? Well, you know, I'd like to see him make slight adjustments come tournament time uh, because I think he struggled in that regard the last two seasons. But if you look last season, that team was just, it was very disjointed. And I, I, I don't know if any kind of adjustments would have helped that Illini team last season. Uh, but just slight tweaks in the tournament is what I'd like to see. Everything else, I think he's doing a, a really good job. Like I said, I think the roster is, is more well-suited for a deeper run in the NCAA tournament and a, and a, a better showing 
in the Big Ten conference uh, race. So I, I don't think he needs to change much. And I think, you know, recruiting the guys that he did and bringing in the, the pieces that he has this year, I, I think that that will um, help overcome some of the struggles that we've seen the last couple of years with the Illini and the NCAA tournament. You talked about the team being a little disjointed last year. And I know you talked about how you were able to kind of observe practice this year. What's the vibes like from the coaches, from the players, from what you saw? Uh, you know, what's, what's kind of the mood down in Champaign? Well, I was really fortunate to go to a Saturday morning practice after they played Ottawa in the exhibition. So it's very interesting to see how college players will respond when they have to, you know, play an exhibition game and then they have to come back 12 hours and practice. And they were going like their hair was on fire. I mean, it was as competitive as a practice as I've seen this preseason. Uh, they were loud. They were spirited. They were fist pumping, hand high-fiving. There's a, there's a really good level of chemistry on this team. And so that's what really impressed me the most was their ability to come back the next morning and understand, you know, what they did well, what they didn't do so well in the exhibition game and come back and work on those things the next morning. And they got after it. And so I, that's what impressed me the most is that uh, this group is not going to be satisfied with a little bit of success. They're going to come back the next day and go just as hard as they did the day before. What have you made of Coleman Hawkins growth from the time he started in Champaign to where he's at now? I think Coleman had a lot of pressure on him coming in because he's such a, a multi-skilled guy that can play so many different positions. And he's been on the NBA radar since he got to Illinois. And he's going to be an NBA player. He's got that kind of skill set. He's got the physical attributes. The thing that I, I think bothered Coleman last season was the lack of continuity on the team. So you have Sky Clark come in. He's run the point. He transfers. You got Jaden Epps coming in. He's running a point. He gets upset, and then he's going to transfer. And so, you know, when you have that kind of turnover at the point guard position, it's tough for players like Coleman Hawkins to find their space. So I thought he was trying to do, you know, he was trying to compensate for that lack of stability and leadership at the point guard position. And I thought he got in trouble last season trying to make too many plays. He was overthinking the game. What I've noticed about him this season is that it seems to be he's he's playing more instinct off instinct, letting the game come to him, making plays when they're there, but not trying to be too much because there's times when he tries to be Magic Johnson, he ends up looking like Tragic Johnson. And so we don't, you know, as a Illini, former Illini, I'm going to take my analyst hat off, put my former Illini hat on. I don't want to see him doing that. I want to see him playing the five, the four, the three, and if he gets the rebound on the defensive end, push the rock because he's got the ability. But don't try to do too much. Trust your other teammates to play their role, and I think he'll be just fine. Uh, point guard was an issue last year, but it's almost a glaring issue uh, coming into this upcoming season. Do you share the concerns that everyone else seemingly has? Uh, you know, Brad obviously seems very confident in the position, but the rest of us are kind of unsure. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I think Brad Underwood is a smart coach, and he understands that the, the narrative around the Illini is that, they're, you know, what are they going to do with the point guard position? Um, I liked what I saw from Ty Rogers. Um, 
you don't necessarily need a scoring point guard in today's game, contrary to popular belief. You know, if you look at the starting lineup uh, that they put out on the floor, Quincy Garrier, uh, Terrence Shannon, Coleman Hawkins, and Marcus Domast, you don't, you don't really need your point guard to score when you've got those kind of guys that can score the ball. But what I like is um, Brad Underwood and his staff have created sets where Ty Rogers can take a guy right into the post and score right over the top of him. He did it three times against DeWan Harris, who's one of the best point guards in the country. So I'm not, I, I, after seeing that and seeing practice, Marcus Domask is going to run some point. Nicolo Moretti can come in in spots. And I think they can do it by committee, which, um, you know, sounds similar to last season. But the difference is, is these guys are both feet in. Sky Clark, Jay Nips, they weren't both feet in. All the players on the team that I've seen are all in. And so I think that there's a trust factor in this season's team that didn't exist last year. And so I think that, it, you know, they're going to struggle at times because there'll be teams that will throw pressure at them. And that's what I want to see. How do they handle pressure? How, how does Ty handle uh, a guy like Ace Baldwin from Penn State who's going to be in his jock from 94 feet how's he going to handle that that that's what remains to be seen but overall i think the alignment would be fine at the point guard position what scares you most about this Illini team uh looking at them and the expectations that brad underwood and his staff even have on this team uh, kind of the point guard position you know <laughs> you know i can see positives in it but i can also see look i, I was a defensive player of the year in the big 10. I know how to exploit people's weaknesses. And so there'll, there'll be some teams that know how to exploit uh, Ty and what he likes to do. Or, or uh, when Marcus um, Domask is running the point, they'll, they'll put somebody to get in his, you know what. So they're not going to take the ball from Marcus because he's more ball control, but it will slow down what the, the offense is trying to do. So where I, where I see them for the most part being okay at the point guard position in – situations where you're going up against Matt Painter, Tom Izzo, Kevin Willard, these guys that can throw different wrinkles at you, then that that's my biggest concern. Every other position, they've got depth, they've got experience, they've got some tough dudes, they've got guys that love to compete. Um, you got Dane Danger inside who really didn't get a whole lot of tick against Kansas, but with these bigger centers that the Big Ten has a plethora of, you'll see more of Dane Danger because Coleman Hawkins will get in foul trouble at some point. So even if Dane doesn't start, you'll, you'll see him come in and be very effective. So uh, two through five, the Illini have uh, experience and depth. It's just at that point guard position where, um, you know, it, it's going to be a work in progress. Now, when I look at this team, like I genuinely think that we have, you know, nine to ten guys we can put on the floor at any given point. That's drastically different than the team that Brad Underwood took over uh, seven, eight years ago. Um, you know, I'm not trying to jinx anything, but like I feel like we're at the point now where almost our floor is making the NCAA tournament, which again is just wild compared to um, last days of uh, uh, John Grossi. How would you rate, you know, Brad Underwood's tenure uh, here? Obviously, you know, there's some things that he hasn't been able to overcome, but 
you know, just add again, let's keep the Illini hat on. Uh, let's take, keep the analyst uh, hat off. Okay. Um, how would you say he's taking care of your program? Do you remember what the program was when he got here? What the program was like? Absolutely. It was, there weren't sellouts at, at State Farm. Uh, there was almost an, uh, kind of like, yeah, all right, they're on. I'll maybe watch them. Now it's must watch television and it's packed. And everywhere they go, there's a line of fans there. So you're talking about a, a head coach that's won a regular season championship. He's won a Big Ten Conference tournament championship. The only frontier that he has left to conquer, in my opinion, is the tournament, NCAA tournament. He's done everything that's been asked. He's brought a culture uh, to this program. He's electrified Illini Nation. Um, and it's a, it's a popular destination for four or five-star high school players and also impact transfers. And so I don't know that you can ask for much more than that. And he's going to have an opportunity this season to hit that last frontier with the NCAA tournament. And I think he has a team that's pretty well built to, to um, advance in the tournament, just with all the depth that you referenced and the, the veteran play. What do you think the ceiling of this Illini team is? Final four. They're, they're, they, they have the ability to, to get to the final four this year. I don't, I don't, I don't see why they can't. Now, <clears throat> there might be 20 teams well, I won't say 20. There's probably about 10 or 15 teams that have the ability to get to the Final Four. I think Illinois is one of them. And and one of the reasons I say that is because of all the stuff that we talked about before. But look, when you go in an exhibition game and it's you got fans, there's referees, it's on network television, that's a real game. It may not count, but that's a real game. Those Kansas guys weren't going in there half speed. They were trying to win that game. And so Illinois handles the preseason number one team in the country. So that gives them confidence that they can play with anybody. And so when you, you, you take these things, um, you know, you, you look at their veteran nature, I just think they're one of 15 teams around the country that have the ability to be in Phoenix at the Final Four. I think that's their ceiling. On a national landscape, uh, you know, it's it seems pretty obvious, like football and the money that football brings kind of has changed the college athletics uh, pretty drastically. Obviously, the Big Ten has got four new teams coming in uh, next year. What's your viewpoint on all the comings and goings and, you know, Big Ten kind of establishing itself as a as a national conference, but the conference that, you know, you played in and I grew up watching isn't quite, isn't really that anymore. Yeah, it's unfortunate. That's a uh, byproduct of today's uh, college athletics. And for many years, they were, they were able to fool the public and say, oh yeah, we're student athletes and all that. That's, no. It's a, it's a for, NCAA gets away with being a nonprofit, but it's a for-profit business. And so, you know, now when you look at the landscape of college athletics is to have and have nots. And so eventually, I think you're going to see two super uh, conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten with 20 teams each. They're going to break away from the NCAA altogether, and they're going to run their own stuff. And so um, I don't know how long it's going to take to get to that point, but um, it's coming, and it's going to come quicker than people expect. 
So it, there's sadness from my perspective because I grew up like you guys. I watched the Pac-12. And, you know, the, the Pac, I, I actually watched the Pac-10. That's how old I am. But, I, you know, to see a conference like that fold and, you know, come under pressure and cannot stay together based on today's economics is sad, in my opinion. But I'm not complaining because hopefully I'll be in Los Angeles in February and, and January calling games when it's snowy and cold back here and I'm having fun uh, out at the beach when I can get a, a sneak away a bit. So, you know, there, there's positives and negatives to all of this, but I think the league is going to be quite interesting with UCLA coming in, a blue blood. Uh, Oregon has, has been, they dropped off the last two or three years, but before that, they were elite eight stable. Um, you know, USC has had a, a Sweet 16 in the last four seasons. So um, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see, one, how the conference figures out the travel and the scheduling, but two, also to have to go coast to coast to be the only conference in the country that can claim to go coast to coast. That's going to be pretty cool. What have you made of the player empowerment era with NIL and the transfer portal making its way into college basketball and seeing it for a couple of years now? What have you made of, of that development in college basketball? It was long overdue. And that's why I think um, people are having a hard time with it uh, because people were brainwashed into thinking that players should be paid, which is garbage. They should have been paid all along. They should have had freedom of movement all along. But the NCAA being greedy, like they, they usually are, and not they talk a good game like they're for student athlete welfare. They're not. And so the NIL and the transfer portal are reactions, and, um, reactions to a broken system. And so it's a way to try to placate uh, the athletes and keep them, in my opinion, out of a uh, union situation. Um, but I, I think it's necessary. I think that the vast majority of college athletes don't play professionally. I, I think we all understand that, but they're generating millions of dollars. And so what better way to educate a young student athlete, or I don't even call them student athletes, because that was a term the NCAA created to avoid litigation. I say athletes at the college level. What better way, if you're going to be, you're going to call yourself education-based, what better way to educate somebody when they spend 40 hours a week at least giving up their body, their time, uh, you know, having career-long injuries that they suffer from college? What better way to educate people to have them benefit in the fruits of their labor? Where else do you see in the United States that people can work 40 hours a week, but then it's, it's supposed to be enough to get your college education paid for? That's not that's not good enough. So these these measures are um, reactions to a system that was broken, that was exploitive, and you know I, I'm all for player welfare and, and empowerment. So you know I like it, and I, I do my best to try to educate people around those topics because people are frustrated um, because they're they're brainwashed. But if you really look and understand the history of what's been going on, you understand that this was long overdue. Stephen, we see you on TV, you know, we see you on YouTube, Facebook now, um, you know, obviously you played in college. What's your favorite part today of what you're doing? 
you know, you're just uh, remaining connected with college basketball. What's on a day-to-day level, what's bringing you the most joy? Ah, you know, it, it, the game of basketball was my family business, is my family business, I should say. My, my father played college basketball at Southern Illinois University. My brother played college basketball at Indiana for Bobby Knight the year. They won a national championship. He left Indiana and finished his career at the Citadel. My sister played junior college basketball. So my family is a basketball family. So I've had a love affair with the sport since I can remember. And there's a saying that whatever you put into basketball, it will, it will pay you back tenfold. And that's exactly what it's done for me. I've never really had to leave the sport in my life. It, it afforded me the opportunity to get a quality education at Illinois, to play on a nationally relevant team that everybody in the basketball world knows about. Um, It allowed me to play 10 years of professional basketball, to play in the NBA a little bit, to play uh, overseas and get a chance to see different parts of the world. And now to be able to talk about the game and get paid handsomely for it, shoot, sign me up. So that aspect of the game I like, but I also just love being able to call these games and be around the young players because they look up to me they know that I play. They know I had success. They listen to me on the television. So if, if there's a player that's struggling, I can go give them some inspiration. If there's a player that has, um, you know, some family struggles, I can go and try to talk to them and comfort them. So I like the camaraderie of uh, being like an OG in the game. See, I'm, a, I'm an old, that's what they call me, OG. And so I like being that. I like being a guy that can, get to know these players and these coaches and have this community of basketball that is so special to me. Uh, so that th- those are some of the aspects that I just love about the game. Steven, final question. I live in Alto Pass, Illinois. What is your favorite Southern Illinois region uh, basketball memory? Um, I've got a bunch, but it has to be the Sweet Six. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it was it was a Sweet 16 game at the SIU Arena. Lafonso Ellis and East St. Louis Lincoln come in, and boy, did they look they look like a college team. They put three or four guys D1 off that team, and I dropped I think I had 30 and 13 rebounds and eight assists, and we beat East St. Louis to go to state. Ended up losing to Kendall Gill and Matson in the first game at state, but. Uh, it was a, it was a, that was probably the best memory that I had playing bas- high school basketball in Southern Illinois. Uh, had a lot of great memories, but that one, that, that one sticks out the most. Steven, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been incredible uh, to talk Big Ten, talk Illini, and get a little of your personal side in there as well. Well, thanks a lot for having me, guys. I, I appreciate it. And Alto Pass, that took me back there, partner. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, absolutely. Let everyone on the podcast and uh, YouTube show know uh, where to find you. I know you're everywhere at this point, but specifically. Um, you can go to YouTube on Bardo Media, and you can find me there. Or you can go to Facebook and look up Bardo's Breakdown, and you can find me there as well. Thank you, Stephen, once again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Stephen. All right, that was it. Thank-